Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for tuning in to a very special episode of the Toddcast Show, something we've never done before, but I think it's a good idea just before tax time for the entire month of February and maybe even March at this point, we're going to feature a different tax expert every week to help people deal with their taxes because taxes are probably the biggest headache for most people. I work at TurboTax during the season. I love the company. It's a great experience, but I've also been exposed to some amazing people that uh, really know what they're talking about in the world of taxes. And today we have just such a person who's not affiliated with TurboTax, uh, but his name is Bob Wheeler. Bob is a CPA, and he has some very special things to share today and uh, kind of a unique story. I want to start with his story just briefly, uh, but today's episode is going to be really about how to get the most out of your tax filing experience, how to mitigate the stress associated with it, and really how to get your head wrapped around doing the right things for your financial future relevant to your taxes. So, Bob, how are you doing today? Todd, I'm doing great. It's, awesome, it's man. It's a good day. <laughs> it is a good day. And where are you calling from, Bob? I am in West Los Angeles. What? Yeah. Los Angeles. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that a war zone these days? What's it like living in L.A.? Uh, well, yeah, it can be a little crazy here. The energy's a little aggressive sometimes. And I love living near the water, and L.A. is a beautiful place, and the weather's awesome, and you just learn to roll with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. That's the thing I miss the most about living in California is the ocean, to be honest. I think that's it. It's pretty you know, nice. 
Yeah, I forget I mean, it's so close, and I just don't go visit it enough. And then I'm walking my dogs, and I'm like, "Oh, there's the ocean." Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> Do you live really close to the shore? I'm about I'm about thirty blocks, so nice. I'm up the hill, but I can I see it every day. That's so, cool, man. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, there's just something about it, man. The ions and the air with the mist, and I don't know, but yeah, very pleasing. I live in central Arizona. We don't have an ocean here yet. Um, you Working know. on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, it'd be terrible for you, but great for us, you know. Uh, but let's exactly. hope that never happens. Um, well, unless it creates a really nice island, and then I'll be, I'll be good. But right, uh, right, that would be cool. That would be cool. Uh, we have rivers and stuff. It's really nice here. It's very pleasant, but just different. It takes a little getting used to, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, just real briefly, uh, normally my thing is I like to explore the person, but we're gonna focus on business today. We want to really get right into that. But I just want to ask, where were you born? Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, and then we'll just talk briefly about how you got into being a CPA and some things around that and your adventures in comedy, which I think are really unique for a uh, person of your particular stature. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I was I was actually born in Oakland, California, um, which I usually keep a secret because I wow. grew up in Tennessee. <laughs> okay. Um, so I I consider myself a Southern boy, but uh, right on, right I on. I grew up there in a small town and went to college in Memphis, Rhodes College, and had an amazing awesome. accounting teacher, cool. uh, professor who taught me quite a lot. I originally got into accounting. I only did accounting to help my grade point average. I like everybody else, right? Like everybody You're else. kidding. Really? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> wow. Was, Dude, and, you want to lower my grade point average? Send me to any <laughs> class that deals with math, you know? Yeah. That's no, amazing. it was so you had a knack for it then, right? Yeah, I had a knack for it. A friend of mine in high school had suggested I that I would do well in it. And it was just sort of a an easy A. So I thought, oh, well, this is cool. I wanted to be a lawyer. So you know, and then I met some lawyers and I thought, eh, I don't really want to be a lawyer, but right. I understand. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was something that came easy. And of course I had the mindset that things have to be hard for you to earn money. So therefore doing something that was easy, didn't feel like that was a career initially. Um, but it was something I enjoyed doing. And originally I got into it so I wouldn't actually have to talk to anybody. I thought, let me just work with numbers. I don't have to talk with people. Cause I wasn't always that comfortable. Um, having conversations or trying to educate people and stuff. Um, and then it went well. And then people kept saying, no, explain yourself. Or when I worked for other firms, you know, I'd have to go in and start communicating with people. And my professor had always said, public accounting is 60% tax and 40% public. You've got to learn to be able to communicate and work with people. So I sort of took that with me and, and jumped in all Very in. Very cool. Very cool, man. Very cool. And so that led to an education, clearly, and uh, starting your own practice. Did it work in that yep. order? How did you get started? Yeah, so I worked for another firm. I originally thought that if I got into public accounting and did taxes, I'd see all these other companies and I could figure out what kind of company I wanted to start because uh, I knew I wouldn't be a good employee <laughs> for too long. <laughs> and uh, so basically, I you know, started the accounting firm thinking I was going to start something else and just realized, oh, well, this is sort of what I do. <laughs> and it's, but, you know, just preparing taxes and running a business are two separate things. And a lot of CPAs 
like working for somebody else because they're great at doing taxes or they're great at financial strategies, strategies, but they're not that great at uh, managing the business, collecting money, uh, managing sure. staff. And, you know, it, it's, you know, we have about a thousand clients, We've got about 15 people on staff and that started out with just me and then a person and then a part-time person. And now I've got a partner and, and we've just really kept growing. And so that's been a really Very cool thing. Very cool. Very cool. And is it all centered around taxes or like, does it deal with financial planning and things like that? Like what kind of areas do you address? So we mostly work with uh, entrepreneurs. So I work with a lot of people with Schedule C, 1099 income, a lot of S-Corps, LLCs. Mm -hmm. And that's really been my my niche and, and especially working with people in entertainment. Mm. I was originally uh, doing stand-up comedy and yeah tell us about that comedy. man yeah because that's, that's where the money is that's where that's the money is no it isn't come on <laughs> that, that's uh, where that's where you learn to get over your fear of uh public speaking right well it definitely helped me toastmasters but uh stand-up comedy is different because i only have to make you laugh i don't have to be logical i don't have mm -hmm. to be intelligent i just got to make you laugh right. uh but it was definitely a great skill that uh you know, it, it, it really got me in front of people and, and talking and making people laugh. And I use comedy a lot with my clients to help, mm -hmm. re, re, you know, relieve the tension around the tax bill or, or all their anxiety about that stuff. And so mm -hmm. I was doing stand up. Mitzi at the comedy store called me up one day and uh, said, Bob, you know, I know you're a CPA. Vicky told me and you got to help the store. I was like, I just want to be a comic. Like, gotta help. They were having some payroll tax issues, and uh, so I was a comic. I stepped in and uh, helped navigate about a hundred thousand dollars worth of back taxes. They were ready to shut the doors, and so I've been at the store for almost thirty years. I'm CFO there, and in addition to running my my tax practice, so wow. um, and I still do comedy here and there. So um, I host a show and get up on stage. I'm a paid regular at the comedy store, which was probably my, I was more proud of that than the fact that I was doing the taxes for the C, for the comedy store. But you know, yeah. it's all good. It's all the journey. That's amazing. You have any uh, good tax jokes for us? Yeah. Well, I think the thing is when I was doing stand up and I was pretty broke, I used, I used to joke that, uh, uh, people take my checks because it says CPA. Uh, it's just now it stands for can't pay anything. <laughs> I was uh, I was broke. I was a broke CPA. Hmm. Not broken, just broke. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What's I mean? That's normal, right? Like in the beginning, it always takes a while to build a business, so that's pretty normal. Well, it does, and you know, it's interesting. I I work with lawyers and financial planners and hmm. other CPAs and all kinds of folks, and they're all human, right? We're all human. We carry our baggage, or we have our mental mindset around how things should be. And so even though uh, somebody else may be an expert on taking care of other people's stuff, they're not as good mm -hmm. as taking care of their own. Like I was really good at advocating for other people. I wasn't good for advocating for myself. Um, uh, that's, and, that's actually something I struggled with myself uh, doing web design. I, I realized, yeah. you know, there's an issue there. That's an interesting thing. How did you get over that? Well, you know, interestingly, I created a corporation. And I was very protective of my corporation because it wasn't me. <laughs> it was still slightly separate, even though clearly an S-Corp is me. 
but that's really how I got it going was I separated the business and really focused on nurturing that. And as I kept growing that, that just obviously made it better for me. Awesome. Wow. So it kind of worked out. You do have all in and everything kind of worked out. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to admit that I'm using Google. Okay. But like, uh, I'm going to throw out a little joke here that'll foyer into our topic of discussion today. What's the difference between death and taxes? Probably the same thing. <laughs> well, uh, according to this, uh, Congress doesn't meet every year to make death worse. Oh. <laughs> I like that. I like you know, that. And it feels it's funny. true. It seems like it, you know, and, and having worked in uh, the retail side, customer service side of uh, taxes a little bit, you know, I see a lot of people get stressed out and things like that uh, about taxes. And it's really funny to me because, I mean, it's only once a year, man. And like they don't get stressed out about Christmas or birthdays like that, you know, so like why taxes? And, you know, in my mind, it's really kind of funny because once we get off the call, they're really comfortable and they understand what's going on like yourself, you know, you're able to quell their concerns and fears a bit, you know, unless they're really crazy, then, you know, sometimes people just, you know, they don't get over it until the check clears, you know what I mean? But um, it's one of those things. Um, talk a little bit about that, you know, because I realize, well, you know, there's some subject matter here that relates to emotion. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, even though it is once a year, we file our taxes all year, Many of my clients are thinking, how does this impact my taxes? Should mm -hmm. I take this money? Should I sell this stock? Uh, and then there's a lot of people that just think, oh, it's once a year. And then they do whatever and have no consideration about the impact of selling off you know, $50,000 worth of, of stocks and having a capital gain. And so even though it is once a year, it, it's for a lot of people, it's on the back. Um, it's in the back of their minds. I've got to pay attention to this stuff because how is this going to impact me tax-wise? I know a lot of people will come to me in March, April, ready to do taxes. We start preparing for taxes in November, like November and December are my busiest months because we're doing all the tax planning, figuring out how much money to put into a retirement account, or are we going to set up a defined benefit plan, or do we need to spend more money? Do we need to uh, hold off on the billing so we don't get any more deposits? And so we, we're really about strategy and instead of, Let's just see how it all turns out. Right. Uh, and but for a lot of people, you know, dealing with money, dealing with taxes, uh, they don't feel like they're an expert. Uh, they're embarrassed by their lack of knowledge. And so if I just bury my head in the sand, I, I don't have to deal with it until I have to deal with it. So do you think it's just the age old tradition of humans procrastinating? It's just a simple process. And because it relates to their money and, you know, money's tending to be the most important thing because uh, without it, you know, there's not much we can do. Yeah. Uh, is that really the uh, impetus for the, uh, the delays and the stress and the fear associated with it? What do you think? Yeah. I, well, I think, I think it's a combination. I think definitely people have shame around how much money they made or how much money they didn't make. And when you do the taxes, you actually see it on paper mm -hmm. of what you're going to owe. And, Oh, that's right. I lost money here. Or, wow, my salary was a little less than I thought it was in my head. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of one of those, uh, you know, come to Jesus moments where every year you have to sort of take a look. And I have a lot of clients 
they've made a lot of money. And when I tell them, here's what you owe they're they'll say, well, that's impossible. This is the worst year ever. And how could I owe that? That's crazy. I, I, I have to live. And then I'll go through some numbers with them. And, eh, you've got like half a million dollars in your bank account. You, you just bought a house for your mom. This and that. Oh yeah. Oh, this really was a good year. Right. But the story, it's much better to just go, Oh, it's, it's so hard. And, and so I think for a lot of people, it's just that, you know, come to Jesus moment where we have to stop, take inventory, figure it out, either owe some money or get some money back. And we might've made a little couple of extra things where we didn't withhold tax. And, and now we have to pay the piper and, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those things. And it's not going to go away. Because uh, eventually you'll get notices if you're making money and you're not dealing with it. The IRS and the state agencies will eventually come looking for you. Mm-hmm. How do they find you? Well, uh, through a lot of different ways, mortgage, interest, um, 1099s. So all of your W-2 income, your stock trades, all of that gets reported and the IRS has transcripts on each person. And so if you've got all this income coming in, and you're not filing tax returns, they know they may be entitled to some money. And here's the sad thing is for people that don't file for many years, if they've got refunds, if they're more than three years out, they're going to lose all those refunds. So I've had mm-hmm. clients have dollars $60,000 worth of refunds, and we can't get that money back because they waited too long. Oh, my gosh. What's the cutoff? Is it three years? It's three years out, same as audit. Okay, so the third year you can get it, but the fourth year you can't, or the Correct. second year? Okay. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And states are a little different. Uh, some states are four years instead of mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very cool. Um, and so what do you think would be the most common fear amongst, you know, I, I would like to say your clients, really. That's probably the best way to ask. I can't really say listeners because they're all over the world and... You know, it expands it quite a bit. But what do you think are some common things that would be good to mention? You know, some things related to strategy. You know, it's about fiscal responsibility. You know, it's about maintaining the awareness and knowledge of where your money is going and where it went and all that and being responsible for that, right? Yeah, and I I think it's important. And I, I tell this to some of my business owners who will say, I'm not great with numbers. You don't have to be great with numbers. You don't have to do all the detail work. And I think it's important to have a sense of how much money am I making this month, Uh, especially for self-employed people uh, or entrepreneurs. Have a sense of what's that going to cost you if I keep making $30,000 a year, where am I going to land at tax time so I can put some of that money aside? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest fear for a lot of people is how much am I going to owe? How much am I going to owe? But what they're not doing is taking the information each month, figuring out where that's going to put them if I annualize that. I mean, there's some simple, relatively simple things you can do or have a person that you can reach out to to help you go through that stuff um, so that you're just having an awareness, not that you have to obsess, not that you have to, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, um, it's all going to fall apart. But to just have a sense of, okay, I'm going to need to put aside 35% or whatever that number might be for the this particular person. Um, but I, I think it's that also these days, everybody's so busy, right? I'm so busy. I've got, we've got 
information coming at us. Our phones are off the hooks. We're getting emails and uh, social media and all kinds of stuff. And we get distracted. And for a lot of people, it's easy to then forget about the foundational stuff like tracking my money, withholding taxes on taxable income, or making estimated payments if I don't have money withheld. And I think for a lot of us, you know, I'm still waiting to be an adult, right? I don't want to be an adult. And uh, if I have to start paying my taxes and paying attention, you know, I'm an adult. Then do I not get to have any fun anymore? Right. Yeah, it's weird how it works, right? Like, I remember right. when I was young, like, I couldn't wait to turn. Let's see. The first one was 15 and a half because that's when I got my learner's permit and I yeah. could work. I got a work permit. That's when you could do it back then. And then it was 16 and then 18 and then 21. And then after that, man, it's like, holy shit, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> it goes faster. It goes faster. Yeah, it sure does. You mentioned uh, making an estimated tax payment. Yeah, that's one of the things that I dealt with a lot at TurboTax. And I'm sure will again next year uh, or this year, I should say. Um, people don't realize, you know, when they haven't paid enough taxes, there's going to sometimes be an enormous tax bill due depending upon the amount that they've made. So let's say that they made $100,000 in a side business, but they didn't put anything aside. They didn't pay anything towards it. And they didn't make an estimated tax payment. That's a no-no because yeah. that incurs a penalty. Um, that I can say with confidence. Um, but Absolutely. it's not that it's not difficult, right? Like you just have to throw something at the IRS to let them know that you have good faith in attain, you know, paying your taxes. Yeah. And basically the way it works is the IRS doesn't know the future, but they know the past. So if I filed my taxes last year and I owed $10,000 in tax, I need to this year have at least withheld $10,000 in tax. Um, for most people, it's 100% of the prior year's tax is sort of my guideline. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people uh, don't realize, oh, well, last year they withhold a bunch because a certain thing happened. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe I, I had a big W-2 and this year I had a 1099, so I didn't have any money withheld. So on that with on the estimated tax, you're wanting to really just model and make sure you're withholding and paying in estimated tax to equal 100% of last year. And you need to make those quarterly, even though their quarter is April, June, September, January, not a typical quarter, but those are the four quarterly payments. And you want to be looking, and if you have not been withholding you're probably going to need to up your estimated payments so that you don't get the underpayment penalty and that you've withheld enough to uh, to not be in such a bad position. Right. And, uh, you know, notwithstanding uh, deductions, write-offs and equipment and expenses and things like that, is there a kind of a quick way someone can figure in their head, hey, I made this much money, this is how much I'm going to need to have a set aside to make sure that I don't have any outstanding tax liability? Well, for most people, their income is usually pretty consistent. So if I know that the last three years, my effective tax rate has been about 20%, I should be withholding 20%. And if I'm not withholding 20%, I need to be making estimated payments to make up that difference. So I think even for people that aren't sure what to do, Figuring out what their effective tax rate has been in the past is a good way uh, because 
you know, if somebody's making a hundred thousand versus somebody making three hundred thousand versus somebody making forty thousand, they're going to be in different tax brackets, um, and they'll be paying a different effective tax rates uh, because the tax um, the tax percentages are tiered, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that you're paying everything at thirty five percent or everything right. at twenty two percent. So there's an effective rate, and uh, you know, I, I I think the two things you want to do is look at last year's tax and make sure you're paying in hundred percent of that, but also look at the rate and make sure you're withholding enough just because they're taking money out of your paycheck does not mean it's the exact amount to cover your taxes. So a lot of times people say, well, I'm withholding money. Well, you're withholding 3% and your tax right. rate is 22. You've and come that's up short. A, that's honestly on, that's on the person that works. I mean, that's nobody's problem, but yours. Like, honestly, that's a choice that we make when we fill out our forms to, sign up for a job you know it's like you have to tell them how much to take out and i noticed that and in arizona there's a weird state tax number that i didn't understand and i had to google the hell out of it to figure it out but like then i finally realized okay well if i do this much i'll get enough taken out so that it covers my liability and i'll get a little bit of a return yeah um so that's the one thing you know that i found kind of funny it's like the people that didn't have enough taken out are the ones that were clueless and didn't even know what they filled out on their own forms. And it's like, well, you need to know that because, you know, it's going to make a big difference later in the year. So more money now and you're a really good saver and gambler, or do you want to just balance it out so that you get what you need and still pay and maybe get a little something back in the end? What do you think is the best way to go? Like, is it, uh, to overcompensate, I mean, clearly, right? So you don't have any liabilities. I personally, I'd rather overpay a little bit and know that I don't have to come up with cash later on. Now, some people will say, "Well, yeah, but I could have used that money in earned interest." You probably could have, but you probably didn't, mm-hmm. right? Most people have that mindset of, "Yeah, I was, t- I would take the money and do something really, uh, you know, intentional with it," and mm-hmm. and they just don't. So I, I think it's better to. Just make sure you overpay because you might have forgotten about a bonus you got. You might have received some other taxable income or inherited an IRA that was taxable. And you just, you know, at least with a lot of my clients, they've got multiple sources of income and you forget one thing. Oh, that's right. I got 20000 of unemployment. Well, that's taxable at the federal level. And if you're not having any money withheld and you're in a higher bracket, you're going to have to pay the piper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no question about it. So it's really good to stay on top of those things. But also to realize, you know, if you're not having enough taken out at a job, that's something you need to go back to your paperwork and make an adjustment. But it's something you can change, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it is definitely important to look at that stuff. I know many companies, especially in entertainment, where they're not withholding or when somebody originally got the job, they filled it out one way and now things have changed and they're not withholding enough and, and come tax time, they're going to be in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, so what happens if somebody ends up with more tax liability than they can pay? Do they put it on a payment plan or do they send you to tax debtors jail? Like what happens? Yeah. Um, fortunately, there is no more <laughs> uh, you know, tax jail, debtors yeah. prison. Uh, not that, yet. That's good. Not, not yet. yet. There's yeah, a lot of new IRS agents that might beg to differ in a year or so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, all they'll do is throw more penalties at you. When I you, see. and and here's the thing: if you look at your taxes and you owe 
a whole lot more money you can pay. It's still important to file your taxes because if you don't file your taxes on time, there's a 20% uh, failure to file penalty on the tax liability. So it's always better to file. They will work out a payment plan. IRS now does six years, um, up to six years. Now you're still paying some interest on that, um, but it's still less than paying interest on a credit card. And, and the IRS is actually pretty good about working with people. They want to help you. And so you work out a payment plan. You can spread it out over you know six years and then pay it off early if you can. Any of your future refunds will be taken to pay down any debt. You don't get your refunds back until you've squared up with the IRS. But they are very willing to work things out. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, and I think it's the scariest place. Um, I was terrified of them until I started working, you know, closer. You know, you see things differently when you work around the people. And so, you know, I feel a lot differently about the IRS. I mean, it, they're still like the last people we ever want to see or talk to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're that's not as just... scary, you know. They're not that scary, but I, I did. I was talking to this agent once, and she said, "Yeah, whenever I go to a party and people ask what I do, she said <laughs> I, I just would say I work for the government. I never tell them I'm an IRS agent." <laughs> yeah, I think that's a smart idea. That is a smart idea. Um, I wanted to run through a little list of things that um, you know maybe people don't think about, maybe they do, but I'm sure that you deal with this on a regular basis. Um, one of the things is contributing to retirement accounts. Not everybody yes. knows, but there's a really neat way to keep your money tax-free, right? Yeah, and so what that entails is putting away after-tax dollar money into retirement accounts. So if I am eligible to put away 6000 bucks into an IRA, I could put it in a traditional IRA, put in the 6000 I get a deduction, and then later on when I turn that 6000 into $20,000, i am going to pay tax. I'm going to pay tax on the 20,000. Uh, the other way I can do it is I can put the 6,000 in, in a Roth IRA. I put that six in, I don't get any deduction, but I grow that six to 20,000. I get to take the 20,000 out tax free. So mm -hmm. the question is, do I want to pay now, pay later? Yeah, I want to pay now and hope that I can grow my money. So all of that money comes to me tax free. Interesting. And how does that money grow? Well, so the money that goes into an IRA or into a Roth IRA or into a SEP IRA or a 401k, all of those, that's just the vehicle. You could put all that money in a bank account. It would do nothing. You could put that money into stocks. You could put that money into uh, real estate, mutual funds, depending on how your retirement uh, account is set up. There are all kinds of things that you can invest in a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust. There's all kinds of things that potentially could grow money. Um, you and, and the great thing about that is, let's say you, you feel like you're a pretty good uh, stock trader. You can buy and sell stock within your IRA or your Roth IRA, and you're not going to have to track the gains and losses because within a retirement account, in a traditional IRA, you get just taxed on whatever you take out. And then in a Roth IRA, you don't get taxed on anything because you, you contributed with um, post-tax dollars. And mm -hmm. so it's really about finding the right investment. I've had a couple of clients come to me and say, you know, my, my Roth IRA, it's only grown $200 in the last five years. And I'll say, well, let's, let's, let's take a look at it. What, what are they investing in? 
oh, you're in a savings account. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to earn any money. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to move that money. And so I think sometimes people don't understand that the Roth or the traditional or the 401k is just the vehicle. It's not the actual investments. And that's mm -hmm. how you make your money is in the investments. I see. Very cool. That's a good thing to know. And so you can actually store it away and it gets bigger and you just have to be smart about how you choose uh, to do that. How do people choose those things? Do they uh, decide on what they want to invest in or do companies do this like yours? I mean, how does it work? Yeah. So there's a lot of companies because people get overwhelmed with the stuff. A lot of companies and a lot of brokerage firms have mutual funds that are set up for, I'm going to retire at 60, I'm going to retire at 70. So they'll find a good mix of a balance. So it's not too conservative and not too aggressive. It'll be a nice mix of, of different stocks and different investments in that mutual fund. And for a lot of people just saying, you know what, I'll pick the Vanguard fund. Uh, Vanguard has a, is the biggest fund. It's very transparent. It usually does really well. So for a lot of people, or a lot of people in the FIRE movement, uh, financially independent, retire early folks, they put money into the Vanguard fund. But Fidelity has funds. There's, there's no right or wrong, but you want to look at these funds and see if they're charging fees up front or if they bury the fees inside of the mutual fund. But there's a lot of stuff where you don't have to do a whole lot of thinking other than, yeah, I'll pick that fund. Other people will go in and say, you know what, I'll do it myself. I'm going to buy some Apple stock and I'm going to buy some Coca-Cola or Disney or whatever it might be. And they're investing in individual stocks. Some people like real estate. So they're investing in a REIT or they're investing in uh, if they've got a self-directed IRA, meaning they get to choose where the money goes and they're not at a brokerage house. They could put money into real estate, into rental properties. Um, so there's there's a lot of different ways you can grow your money. It's just that within that retirement account, it that decides how it's going to get taxed. If it's traditional, it's going to ta get taxed when you pull it out. If it's a Roth, it's only going to get taxed when you on the money that you put in, but you're not meaning that you're using money that was already taxed. You're mm -hmm. not going to pay any tax. And so Roth, Roth is a great way to go. Mm -hmm. Are a lot of people doing that? Is that a common strategy? Uh, a lot of people, it's interesting how many people will sometimes say, oh, it's only 6,000 bucks. I'll do it next year. And the thing is, 10 years later, that's 60,000 bucks that could have grown to a, a significant number. And, and so I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. I didn't listen to people. Most people don't listen. But if you're listening, put your money away for retirement so you've got some money down the pike. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there's nothing worse than uh, thinking about becoming old and having nowhere to turn. Um, yeah. You can't live off of credit cards. At, at some point, you know, you got you to gotta have something socked away. The squirrels, yeah. the squirrels in nature will teach us to uh, put those nuts away for the winter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, what do you think is the, um, I mean, just off the top of your head, what do you think is some of the more common trends that are going on in the new economy with people working from home. Uh, when I heard you talk about last year's taxes, the first thing I thought about was like, oh, people from COVID that started a business or, you know, now that all that stuff is slowing down, they're just getting into something new, something different. You know, how, how, do, we, how do we talk to those people and 
help them prepare for the inevitabilities of all of this? Well, you know, one of the big things that happened with everybody working from home, a lot of clients came in and said, oh, you know, be sure and give me my home deduction. Well, if they're on a W-2, they're not getting a home deduction. Right. Uh, you, you don't get to take deductions against W-2. The only people that are going to get to take that home office deduction and stuff are people that are on 1099, Schedule mm -hmm. C. Uh, they have their own business. Uh, if you're already paying a mortgage, you don't get to then create fair market value of rent. You're getting a mortgage. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, you, you don't get to double dip uh, for the most part. You don't get to double dip. And, and so that was a big misnomer for a lot of people not getting to take the home office. For a lot of people that are doing their own business, pay attention to how much money is coming in so that you can set aside some of the money that comes in because all that money coming in is not yours. You know, if you need to be putting away 30%, when $100 comes in, only 70 belongs to you. The other 30 needs to go in a savings account so you can make those estimated payments. And I think it's so easy um, to, to forget about what we're actually earning. I did a tax return for somebody and I, I sent them their Schedule C and I said that they had earned $110,000. And they called me up. Well, they sent me an email and they said, Bob, you screwed up my taxes. This is so incredibly wrong. <laughs> and I, I said, okay, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm human. Let's go through this. Um, what's wrong? I, you put down, I made $110,000. That's insanity. I said, okay, well, there were only like eight deposits. Let's go through them. Did you make this money? Yeah. Did you make this money? Yeah. Did you make this money? Yeah. We went through the list. I said, well, that equals 110,000. Well, where's my money? Well, I, I don't know that. <laughs> like you spent it. Uh, here's the expenses you gave me. Are these correct? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, Numbers don't lie um, mm -hmm. if you do them right. And so for a lot of people, they just, there's a disconnect in, yeah, it doesn't feel like that much. Or, well, I got to pay for my, you know, my trip to the Bahamas or whatever it might be. And, and we forget about, oh yeah, if I made a bunch of money, I'm going to have to pay tax on it. I'm supposed to live on what's left. <laughs> Taxes have to be part of my budget. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us fail to budget for tax. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I think that's a natural inclination. You're absolutely right. Um, so people these days, I mean, do you see that, I, I just out of curiosity, do you see a trend change taking place in terms of how people earn their money? Or is it kind of staying the same? Because I know a lot of people are unemployed and there's all kinds of homelessness and different things like uh is it all changing or do you think that it's evolving? Like what do you state of the society kind of question, well, you know, what do you think about yeah, that? I definitely see a change. It's, it's very interesting. And I'm hearing it in all industries, mine included. Uh, it's hard to find people that want to work 40 hours a week. Uh, and really? a lot of people just would rather not work than if they think they're going to Jesus have to work hard. I don't know how people are living. That's crazy. Some of these folks, because they're not working and huh. all of that government money has dried up. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, it, but it is, I am seeing that people want to work six hours instead of eight. Um, and I won't just put this on the younger generation. I think um, COVID gave everybody a little PTSD. And so I do think people are not as willing to go in and put in a 10 hour day uh, because it's it's exhausting or what's the payoff. So I think people are getting more reflective about how do I want to spend my time 
And is it worth getting that paycheck? And there's a lot of people that are just not working. And and it's going to be interesting in the next two or three years to see how these people continue to financially survive. Because I, I know in LA, I mean, I walk my dogs and I see a lot of people living in cars and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's just really, un, it's sad to see all these people that didn't have this intention initially, but they just don't know how to get back on track. And, you know, there are some places to work that's not so great um, mm-hmm. th- that haven't been historically. And I can understand not wanting to go work for some places, but there's sure. a lot of great companies out there. And I know there's a few big companies out there that are now starting to propose, propose a three day work week where you come in and work three days and you get some 12. benefits. Yeah. Three twelves. Yeah. Or three tens. I mean, a lot of people just do not want to spend their whole waking mm-hmm. hours uh, working. Yeah, yeah, I could agree with that. Um, and for those people, they should become entrepreneurs, right? Absolutely. That's the and then answer. you'll work twenty four seven. Right? Yeah, that's the <laughs> shitty part. Like it always seems so much easier. The grass is never greener on the other side. It's not. <laughs> and if it is, somebody just painted it. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, that's for sure, man. I know that from personal experience. Um, so, Bob, um, what about organizing records? and uh, things to be ready for taxes. That's another thing I've seen people struggle with a lot is, uh, oh, I don't have this paper, I don't have that paper, I don't have this, and blah, blah. And Some people just don't know that they can go download it. Other people are waiting for things to come in the mail. Um, What kind of tips do you have for people to organize their tax records so that they'll be ready when it comes time to file? There's well, there's a lot of great apps out there like Mint and and different things where it'll track from your bank accounts. A lot of your credit cards will summarize year end of what you spent for meals and travel and supplies. There a lot some people, a lot of my clients are business owners. They use something like QuickBooks um, to track their numbers. I have some clients that track things in Excel. That works just fine. Now I work with a lot of actors. And I know they're not going to behave properly uh, from an accounting point of view. So for them, I just tell them, get 12 big envelopes um, or 10. I'm not not 12 as in 12 months, but just 10 or 12 envelopes. And on the outside, write automobile. So car insurance, tires, gas, everything goes in that envelope. Uh, Meals, uh, cell phone, computer. And I just have them do major categories. And I figure at least if I can get them to put all their receipts in the, in the 10 or 12 envelopes, it'll still be a lot easier for me to just run the numbers. If I know they've got their receipts, Mm -hmm. um, because just some of my folks are, you know, they're super creative and doing the numbers stresses them out. So I try to find ways that's going to make it palatable for them and make my job easier. Right, right, right. And, uh, yeah. Um, that's so funny. I was just thinking like, gosh, you know, these people are rich and wealthy people. They could have a team of people showing them or taking, I mean, they could hire a kid from high school to come over and organize all that stuff. You know, I had a girlfriend once a long time ago that uh, was younger and she was great and we had a really great relationship. Um, but one of the things that she liked to do is she liked to put data in the computer. Don't ask me why, like... <laughs> But she liked it. And so, like, I had all of my receipts at the time, like, stapled to papers, and we scanned them. And it was great, man. Like, it was great. And, you know, I mean, it was just someone helping 
you know, to organize the process. But yeah, I can see where, you know, people in the limelight would uh, not want to deal with stuff like that. <laughs> no, and you know, to your point, there are so, there are software programs out there now where you can scan documents and right. it'll categorize them. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. You don't even have, once you tell it that's for coffee or that's for telephone, it remembers it. And so like then you can scan it and you can you don't have to have the original receipt as long as you have a copy of the original receipt. Uh you know, do that. So find what works for you. But know that you need to find some system because a lot of times people that are just working off of a bank statement, just sort of pulling numbers. The biggest thing that I see uh, for some of my entrepreneurs who are not always, you know, super cash positive, they'll have somebody bounced a check on them or they bounce some checks and those NSF fees could be tax deductible. Or we totaled up the deposits and didn't realize that three of those deposits had been deposited twice because somebody had bounced a check on them. Well, if you're not paying attention, you could be overpaying taxes because you've overreported income or underreported expenses. Mm. Yes, don't want that. Gee, many Christmas. Okay, yeah, and that's why it pays to have someone to help clean up the mess and dig into things and find out what's really going on, right? Yeah, and I think, I mean, one thing that I've experienced this year is a lot of people don't understand if I've got rental property and I lost money, that's not going to offset my business income. Now, yes, it all comes together right at the end to figure out what taxable income is. But if if I've lost $50,000 on real estate and I'm not a real estate professional, I'm limited to 25,000 bucks. But clients will say, oh, well, I get to take this loss and then I lost 20,000 in the stock market. Well, you're limited to 3,000 bucks or to the extent of your gains. What? Right. So it's important to, to understand your sources. I have a lot of people with corporations that also get money residual from acting and they're depositing their W-2s into their corporation. Well, the W-2 is already being reported as income. So if yeah, you now that put that in your, sense. if you're putting it in your corp and telling me that's income, you mm. just got taxed twice. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. So they don't even know the difference. They um, don't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So basically for everyone listening <laughs> in America, the W-2 means that they take taxes out. And if you fill out the paperwork right, you won't have anything to worry about. And the 1099, the 1099 is the more autonomous version of that, where you pay your taxes at the end of the year on your own without it being taken out. Right. Is that the clearest definition and distinction between? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's more important to understand with the 1099 that you're, they're giving you your money and your tax money. So put some of that money aside. Right. Absolutely. And is there anything other than those two main categories? Well, I mean, there's rental income, there's retirement money, uh, inherited IRAs and things like that. Um, that are not considered active income, they're passive. And so they can be treated slightly different, whether like with passive income, if I've got investments, passive losses, I can't take unless I can offset them against passive gains. Uh, it, it's not always just as simple as, Joe, oh, just put it all together and whatever it nets out to. There's a lot of different tax treatments for different kinds of income. So it's important to get familiar with those types of things. Mm -hmm. And, and I will say I've worked with some people, whether it was stock market where they sold something 
a day shy of being a long-term capital gain for a million dollars. And I'll say to the client, you know, you've been trading for the last 10, 15 years. Do you know about capital gains? Is there a reason you sold this? Oh, I had no idea. Well, if you're trading that kind of money, you probably oh, want to know some of the rules. I would say, wow, gosh, yeah. man. Um, or you could just send a little bit to me and, uh, <laughs> you know, support my uh, life, you know, in a philanthropic way. Sure. Uh, You've got to throw the money away anyway. Might as well give it to somebody that can use it. <laughs> and that'll appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yes. I'll send you cards and thank you letters and all that, I'm sure. I'm kidding, of course. Um, so you mentioned rental properties. It's like you were reading my mind when you said that. That was actually my next subject. Um, there are a lot of people that have rental properties around, and um, they don't always realize that they can write things off like home improvements or, you know, if there was damage to the house, there's uh, deductions for that. Um, are there any other tips and things and uh, advice that you can give for people filing taxes that have rental properties and rental income? Yeah, so rental property is great. Now, I will say, if you're not, you know, so I originally wanted to buy lots of real estate, become, you know, the king of the world right. with all the real estate. And then I actually started dealing with tenants and realized I was too nice and I would just let people go, yeah, yeah, you can pay me next month. You can pay me next Yeah, bad idea. I realized I'm terrible when it comes to being a landlord. Uh, mm -hmm. So property for me is somebody else needs to manage it or I need to just buy land, which I do have some land uh, right because then I'm not having to deal with uh, people giving me their sad stories. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and real estate is just not quite as easy as everybody thinks because it's about screening the right tenant. Like there's all kinds of things that aren't even tax related, but in terms of taxes, you do want to save those receipts because, like you said, if you do improvements, uh, if you have to redo a water line, all those things on a rental property are going to be a write-off. Now, certain improvements maybe have to be taken over 27 and a half years, 31 years, depending on if it's commercial or residential. And, and some of it can be um, segregated and written off immediately or over five years. So depending on the different ways of depreciation, um, and that's where it helps to have a professional to be able to give you some guidance on the best uh, strategy for your own properties. Um, what I do with a lot of my clients that are in entertainment, I've watched people get a TV series, make a million dollars for two or three years, and then lose the TV show. And now they don't have any way to pay their mortgage. So I encourage people to get into duplexes, triplexes. It's a great way to learn to see if you want to do real estate. And then secondly, you've got somebody else paying your mortgage with a duplex or a triplex, somebody else is paying my rent. And now if I pave the driveway, I've got a duplex, I'm going to get to write off 50% of that because I don't get to write off stuff when it's my house solely. But if it's real estate, that's an investment, I'm going to get to take a portion. And so having a duplex allows me to write off half the insurance. But you don't have to live there for that, right? Like that's just... Well, if I'm going to, if I don't live there, I can write off a hundred percent. Ah, that's what I was wondering. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But for people in LA where it's just not easy to buy, you know, oh, sure. a, 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 a 500 square foot house is, you know, <laughs> $2 million. No, it's not quite that bad, but it's, it's rough. And so getting into at least a duplex where you live in half and rent half as a starter. And then as you hopefully gain more money, you can then move out of the duplex, buy another unit. And then the full duplex is a hundred percent write off.
Right on, man. That's cool. What a good investment. Yeah, that's, I mean, when you think of upgrading and things like that, that's great because that works out in the end, or at yeah. least it helps quite a bit. Um, just out of curiosity, um, when it comes to rental properties, is there something that stands out to you? You know, I guess it doesn't have to do with taxes. It could be anything really, but is there something that stands out to you that presents a real red flag other than your own experiences? Uh, you know, like for somebody that's thinking about, you know, investing in that sort of thing, like, is there something that would stand out that would well, let them know that's probably not a good idea? <laughs> well, you know, actually, the one thing I would say is a lot of people don't understand that if you're not a professional real estate person, meaning you you work in that industry, you own a lot of properties. Uh, if I'm, I just own a house. A lot of people don't realize if my adjusted gross income is over $150,000 and I show a loss, a paper loss, I'm not getting a deduction uh, currently. I'll get it down the pike, right? I'll get it later. And so a lot of times people will buy real estate and they'll say, oh man, I, you know, I'm going to show a $30,000 loss this year. And I'll tell them, well, actually you're going to show a $30,000 loss, but you're only going to get to take zero <laughs> because you can only take it to the extent that it wipes out your profit. The rest can go and sits in a bucket for passive loss carryover that you get to get rid of when your income drops below the 150, you sell the property or you start making gains and those gains get absorbed by the loss carryover. And so it's not quite as simple as, oh, I made 20,000, I spent 30, I've got a $10,000 loss. It just doesn't work that way. And I think it's important to sort of know the rules before you, you jump in. Now, a lot of my clients that make over 150 know when they're buying that property, it's for the long term and they're looking at big picture, not for the immediate write-off. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, let's talk a little bit about itemizing tax deductions. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't realize it, but you know, some people are forced to take the standard deduction and other people can itemize. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two types of people? Yeah, absolutely. And so prior to 2018, when the tax law changed, you there were a lot more people filing for, for itemized deductions. Uh, after 2018, a lot of stuff was eliminated and they raised the standard deduction. So the majority of people, um, I, I think it's almost 90% now take the standard deduction. Mm -hmm. um, but itemized deductions, if you've got a mortgage that's that mortgage and the property taxes and charitable deductions, medical, all of those things that might be more than the standard, uh, you know, that's typically a little bit more beneficial. And with the way they changed the law, um, most people are not getting hit with the AMT tax, mm -hmm. um, which used to be problematic for some folks. But it's limited on the taxes. So if you're paying $30,000 in real estate tax and state income tax, you're paying 30, but you're only going to get a 10,000 deduction on the federal. And with medical, it's going to be based on your AGI, your adjusted gross income. And so you might've spent $20,000 in medical, but you may end up getting only a thousand dollars as a deduction. Mm -hmm. And so again, I've got certain clients where I know they're going to itemize. Um, but we know they've got a big mortgage. They've got, you know, if I'm only paying $3,000 a year in mortgage interest, I'm probably going to be taking the standard deduction. Um, I mean, they have made it more attractive with the higher standard deduction numbers, and you can still 
do a little bit of charity, but it's it's going to be limited. Um, whereas if I itemizing, I can donate five thousand or six thousand or twenty thousand, mm-hmm. depending, and I'm going to get a full write off. And I think, unfortunately, yes, we did see that a lot of people don't get to itemize anymore. But at the same time, it's simplified taxes for a lot of people. And at the end of the day, personally, I would love to see taxes a lot easier for people. People used to say, well, you would never want to see them go to a a simple tax or the government does it on their own. I'm an accountant, so I've got plenty of work, whether I'm doing taxes or not. Now, there are a lot of people that only do tax prep. And yeah, they would have to look to somewhere else to find employment. But I do think the tax laws have gotten really complicated. And I've got a lot of older clients that I feel bad for, and I'm not going to dump them because they still need help. You know, if, if you're trying to get the the, the stimulus check or uh, for a period of time, there were certain things you you couldn't get if you didn't file a tax return and forcing people that have limited income to file a tax return and not giving them assistance, it just puts them at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. And um, we mentioned this briefly before, but regarding home office tax deductions, mm-hmm. those are possible, but you do have to be on a 1099 to claim those. Is that right? That's right. You have to be on a 1099 or you've got your own corporate, you've got your own corporation and you're, you know, part of the rent is going towards that home office or that studio garage or whatever you might be doing. So you do have to have your own business. Um, but having a W-2 income only, you're not going to be able to see that home office deduction, at least on the federal return. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And um, it's different. All the states are different, right? Like the states all... are different. A lot like California na- almost never complies with the federal unless they can get more money. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but a lot of states, some states comply, some states have their own calculation. I see. Interesting. Interesting. And what about people with children? Um, are there any considerations or thoughts that come to mind to help people that have children filing their tax returns? Well, you know, there's a couple things. So they, they've gotten rid of the, the dependent credits and, and, oh, you get this much for each dependent. What they do now is they've got these uh, child tax credits. Mm-hmm. and They're huge. They're huge. And you, some of it you get up front, some of you get later on. Now, where right. there's a problem, I, you know, it's L.A., maybe. Um, I have a lot of clients. Uh, they get divorced. They've got a kid. And they get divorced. And now the government gives them the prepayments based on the prior year. But next year, their ex-spouse is going to claim the kid. And so what we've had is the situation of this person got all the money. Uh, but now they've got to pay it back because they don't get to claim the kid this year. And then now the thing's going to ha- same thing's going to happen for the other spouse the next year. And in cases like that, you can tell the government, please don't prepay me any money. Um, let's just figure it out at the end. Because in a few cases of my clients, we've had to pay penalties on one. One gets a huge refund they weren't counting on. But next year, they're going to get hit again uh, because they're not going to have the kid as a deduction. So when you've got divorced parents with kids, you got to pay a little more attention. Right. Um, And the other thing that happened a lot this year was I would say to people, did you get any prepayments from the government? No, we filed the taxes. Then they get a tax bill. What's this? Well, apparently Uh, you did tax credit. Yeah. (laughs) 
I had the same thing happen. (laughs) I saw the same thing a lot. And there is one more thing that I saw happen a lot um, was uh, both parents filed for the kids. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting one. So then it becomes an issue of custodial, over 51% uh, custodial responsibility. And, um, you know, if you pay their expenses and they live under your roof and blah, 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 you know, but like, wow. (laughs) <laughs> well, and that, you know, it's the other thing that the other thing that happens is if you're having somebody else help you with your taxes, mention that you just had a baby. It's amazing to me. I'm sitting with somebody um, on a Zoom and all of a sudden I hear a baby cry and I'll say, wait a minute. Did you just have a baby? <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that important? Uh-huh. Well, if you yeah. want some extra money from the government, sure is. would have been helpful important. to tell me. I've I've literally had a couple times where they've got a three or four year old, and they said, "Oh, I I never thought to tell you." They and they remembered to do the gender reveal uh, <laughs> party on YouTube, but uh, exactly, to but forgot to mention account. to the accountant that right, uh, right, right. had my kid. That's funny. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's crazy, man. And with kids. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about education expenses, uh, you know, this thing with the student loans and all that is quite a mess. You know, they've been freezing the uh, interest payments for a long time, and now it yeah. looks like they're going to turn that back on again. Um, yeah. What do you think about all that? Look, it's it's a hard situation. I feel for people. I had student loans. I had to pay them back. Fortunately, mm-hmm. I didn't have to have some of the huge loans that some people have these days. Um, I, I think in terms of education, like that's a whole separate issue. But make sure if, if you're going to spend $200,000 on a college, make sure you actually really need that. Um, because if, if you want to be a social worker, you may not need to go to Stanford, right? You may just need to get the training somewhere where it's a lot less expensive. So I... I feel for people with those student loans, you, you still have to deal with them. And I, unfortunately, when people are signing up, they don't know if they're getting a government loan or if it's a private loan. And and a lot of that stuff is very um, opaque. You know, it's, 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 it's not always transparent. And you've got to do your due diligence because uh, there and, and there are certain industries if you go into and or you work for the government after a certain period of time, you can get those loans forgiven, but you have to register every year and say, this is how much I made and I'm still in the industry. And so, uh, again, get the facts, do your research before you go out and get a loan, decide, because if you're thinking about going into an industry that might give you relief on that, it's that I'd like to know it up front instead of after the fact and know that I missed the window. Right. And I mean, you know, um, it's different for everybody and some people seem to find their way and all that, but there's a lot of people out there who, you know, went to college and majored in something that's completely useless and not in demand. And they sit there and wonder, you know, why they're unemployed. And I mean, there's something to that too. Uh, when, when would you say somebody would need to change direction in their life choices? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I guess at any point that you realize you're going down a dead end path, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you don't I have think, to, you don't have to hit the wall to find out though. You can see it coming, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes you just have to say, oh, I think I need to pivot to the left. Right. Uh, right. And, and there's no shame in that. Look, you know, I know people that have gone through medical school only to realize 
I'd rather be a comedian uh, or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, I look, we all don't know what we want to do when we grow up. Um, many don't. Um, I was pretty clear about what I wanted to do. and But for a lot of people, they don't. And so I do think it's important to figure out what type of education you need, because some people don't really need the college degree. If they want to go into woodworking, there's a lot of uh, uh, tech schools that they can go to and just get those skills. Not everybody needs to go to college. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because even in accounting, you go to college for four years, five years now, and you learn all this stuff, and then you take all that information, and you sort of throw it away, and then deal with the real world. Mm-hmm. But what it teaches you is systems and logic, and mm-hmm. and there is some foundational stuff in there. Um, but accounting theory is just that it's theory. Um, but I, I, I think there are a lot of great community colleges. There are a lot of great state colleges, figure out what you need instead of just saying, I want to go to a really cool prestigious college and I'm going to create lots of debt so that I can then go serve coffee. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how it works out. Um, I majored in speech communication, public speaking, and my intention was to go into a career in broadcasting. And, uh, you know, I'm 50 now. I'll be 51 soon. Uh, By the time this airs, I'll already be 51. I shouldn't admit it, but it's true. Over the hill. uh, But but none of it worked out the way that I thought it would. And my grandfather died. I ended up moving back with my grandmother and my life completely changed. Um, so, I mean, I can attest to that and having struggled, you know, um, through life in different ways without having a clear path. Um, for me, you know, and by no means is this a, uh, this is not an episode about TurboTax or into it, but I have to say, I'm really glad I found that company and I've discovered the world of taxes being quite interesting, actually, like yourself. And, you know, for me, it's the thing that I, you know, again, avoided like everyone else and wanted to minimize and this and that I'd file and all, but there were years when I didn't make enough money to file and I didn't have to file. So, you know, fine. Um, But I've been on both sides of it, I guess is what I'm saying. So I can relate, but it's the most important thing here really is just to do things on time. That's the key. And that's part of the reason I wanted to bring this episode and the uh, subsequent episodes to follow is, uh, you know, don't delay till the last minute. Um, and, and I really just wanted to mention this because, um, you know, people do wait till the last minute. So what would you say to some people who do that? You know, it's like every right. year that they're always doing it every year. They same thing. Last minute, last minute, last minute. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say, because I'm still surprised at how many clients say this to me, uh, but taxes pretty much you can count on being due every year. And if it's not April 15th, it's going to be April 16th, 17th or 18th, but right. it's going to be right around that time. And I've had a couple of clients get really angry at me that I didn't remind them that it was tax season. And even though they got a letter of engagement, we called them a couple of times. They didn't know the exact date. Uh, It's April. It's the middle of April. Um, Yeah, I I encourage people to just get it done and over with so you can get on with the rest of your year. Um, I have a lot of clients that just don't want to know what they owe and they don't want to get it together and they're just going to wait. And and what that does is uh, if I'm rushing to finish your taxes uh, the last week, I may miss something or I don't have the opportunity to sleep on it and come up with a strategy uh, because believe it or not, my mind, I'm weird. I, you know, in the middle of the night, I'm doing tax returns in my head while I sleep yeah, I and I'm thinking, that. Oh, wait a minute. I could, 
Oh, right. I forgot. They have this. And then you we get can... up and go do it, you know, at three in the morning. And yeah. so if if I'm not given that time to like let it let it stew, let it cook, um, yeah. I might miss something that would have helped you. Now, certainly we can go back and amend, not my favorite thing to do, but I think if you can just get in the habit, and I have a lot of clients 20 years strong, next year I'm going to change. They're not going to change. Uh, and that's okay. But the more you can be on top of it, um, I like to get my tax return. Uh, I used to get my tax return filed in February. I had all my stuff done. Now I've got other investments and, and a partner and different things. I have to wait for tax documents that don't come to me until, until August. Right. But I still have all my stuff ready to go. Oh, in a uh, situation like that, wouldn't you have to file form forty-eight sixty-eight for a yes? Yeah, so uh, then I have to file extension. I have to file an extension. Now, typically, if I've got a refund coming, and I didn't file the extension, no harm, no foul. But you should still file the extension because sometimes something happens. There was some extra income you didn't know about, or it wasn't all as you thought it was. Uh, it's still very important to file that extension form. Um, and a lot of states require a separate extension for that state. Um, New York is very uh, aggressive about filing their own extension. Um, so you want to make sure you get that extension in. And again, try and give your tax preparer a little bit of time. Um, we don't all love doing it on the last day. And no, I don't process a thousand returns on the last day of the season. Right, right. <laughs> we spread it out over time. Yeah, yeah, totally understand. Um, and most people don't even know this, and, and it was a shock to me to find out, but the IRS could care less if they owe you money, what you're doing. But if you owe them right. money, they want to know everything. Oh, they do. You know, it's a really weird process that surprised me, but that's good advice, actually, to file that form and just make sure everything's above boards. But if they don't, and there's money coming back, like you said, no harm, it's no foul. Probably no harm, no foul. I, I mean, I think the other thing that I find interesting, and um, you know, some clients end up having to move on, uh, but I'll have somebody say to me, okay, here's all my numbers. I'll come back to them and I'll say, you owe $10,000. Oh, I can't pay $10,000. So look, I need, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to cross the line, but you need to get it to zero. And I'll say, well, so here's the thing. All these numbers, this is you owe $10,000. If you mm -hmm. want to owe zero dollars, then you would have to file a fraudulent return. No, no, no. I don't want to do anything fraudulent. Right. I just need it to be zero. Okay, <laughs> well, then you're going to have to find a different accountant because Jesus. I can't make that happen. <laughs> All right. And, and I mean, just to shoot out of left field here and um, to draw from some of my podcasting experience, uh, talking to different people. Um, one of the things I heard about that was kind of interesting is uh, setting up businesses around your hobbies and uh, different things that allow you to write off things that normally would not be um, deductible. Is that correct? Well, you know, there's a fine line. If it's a hobby, if the if it's actually truly a hobby, if you're raising puppies and mm -hmm. you are running at a loss uh, three years plus, IRS is more than likely going to come in and say, that looks like a hobby. It's never made a profit. Now, there have been cases where people have run a business at a loss for multiple years. The IRS said it was a hobby. They sued. The tax court agreed that it was, in fact, a business because they had done everything in their power to make it a business. And it's not against the law to be a failure at business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing something that's a hobby, 
Certainly, if it's making some money, you can write those things off. Now, if the IRS determines it's a hobby and you've made money, you can take expenses to the to the degree that it brings you to zero. Or um, let's say it's a small business, like not right. even a hobby, but like a small business that helps you along the lines of your personal interest. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely doable. I will say, though, a lot of times, you know, one spouse makes $300,000 on a W-2 and the other spouse has a Schedule C and they're losing $25,000 every single year. Probably going to get flagged for an audit. A Schedule C losses is one of the biggest red flags. And so if they see high W-2 income and high losses consistently, mm-hmm. good chance you'll get audited and you'll lose those deductions. And but having that said just, that, is that a trick that people use to try to mitigate, yeah. you know, to lower I mean, their tax liability? They do. A lot of people do it. But I, I can tell you, I have a client who one spouse made 300,000 bucks and the other spouse lost $150,000. They had started a business. Now, the cool thing that I had them do was I said, look, get liability insurance and do a city business license. And when they got audited, because high W-2 income, big loss on Schedule C, they came in and said, you know, this is probably just trying to get rid of the stuff. We were able to show them the real expenses. We were able to show them the insurance policy and a city business license. And the agent said to me, I can't really argue with the fact if somebody goes out of their way to get liability insurance and filed a city business license, it's really hard to say that the intention was not to have a business. And right. so we actually got, you know, 95% of our deductions. There were a couple of things they shaved off, but overall we won. And that was because we did our due diligence. We knew we were going to have losses and we prepared accordingly. So when we did get the audit, we had all the documentation to prove that it was actually a business. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So if you are going to do something like that, do it right. It's so simple. Yeah. Just do it right, man. Don't try to cheat. (laughs) Yeah. And it just takes a little extra work. I mean, we could have lost that significant write-off if we hadn't just done those couple of things. Right. That's huge. That's huge, man. And um, what's better, filing electronically or filing by paper? So at this point, Day and age, filing electronically to me is the best route because the turnaround and the possibility that your tax return will get lost when you mail it in has significantly increased. And right now, the turnaround, like in California, the turnaround to do a tax return or anything that you mail in, they have a 12 month turnaround for a lot of processing. That's insane. A lot can happen in a year. That's a long Um, time, man. It's a long time. So the other thing about filing electronically, if you're, if you have an ex-spouse and you've got a shared dependent and you file and you've already, and your spouse already filed with their social, the kid's social security number, your tax return is going to reject because it'll only let one social security number go through. Um, Mm -hmm. So you get feedback pretty quickly if there's a problem. Um, so I, I, even though in the, in the early days of electronic filing, I was like, I don't know, but I, I prefer electronic filing. I prefer electronic payments so that everything's tracked. Um, and I know that I can prove, um, what I did or what I paid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's so many different scenarios out there. It's really amazing, isn't it? Like, I yeah. mean, in your, in your world, especially you get to see them all so close and, all of that. Um, 
uh, I want to get into your business here in a moment, but before I do, um, what's the overriding thought that you have about taxes? Like just as a person, not necessarily as a professional, but I mean, is it ridiculous? Is it necessary? Is it, is it out of control? Is it on target? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What are your thoughts along those lines? If if I could ask just, I mean, you could be comedic about it if you'd like. I, I welcome that. But I just have to ask, like, what's your yeah. what's your impression of the whole well, picture? Well, look, if I'm living in California, so the taxes are incredibly ridiculous. Uh, right. In my opinion, it's gone overkill. We've had, you know, a surplus in the budget for the last four years, and we're still not getting relief at a state level or getting the services because I think a lot of it goes, unfortunately, for uh, for graft and corruption and things that uh, pork projects that never turn out. Right. Uh, you know, in Sa- do you know in San Francisco they uh, bought tents for the homeless people, like yeah. normal tents that you could get at Big Five, and they charge sixty five thousand dollars per tent to yeah. the taxpayers. And that's the kind of stuff where I get really enraged. Right. Yeah, um, me too. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, latitude with the tax money in California. But in general, uh, taxes, look, if you're going to live in a civilized society and you want to have roads and you want to have infrastructure, you got to pay a little bit in. Like, I don't want to pay for my road in front of my house all on my own. And I don't want to, you know, and so when you're in a, a community um, or in a group of folks, you got to pay a little something in. Um, and unfortunately, we don't get to pick whether I'm going to pay for a war missile or if I'm going to pay for right. uh, a freeway um, or for social programs. I don't get that choice other than the way I vote. Oh, oh and then there's this thing called the black budget. That's a whole nother world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. But I, I, you know, I think we do have to have taxes, but I do think it has to be reasonable. I don't want to be giving 80% of my money um, to the government. It doesn't no. give me incentive to continue working. Right, right, right. Um, can I share my opinion on it? Too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And honestly, this maybe speaks to the heart of your, you have a podcast too, which we're going to get into here in a minute. Um, and you help people deal with things and emotional issues around money and all sorts of things, um, that are really useful to people that, um, you know, might not even realize that they're struggling with traumas or experiences that hold them back. Um, for me, like I I remember the first time I filed taxes, you know, and, I think about that sometimes um, at tax time, you know, and it was back in the days when you had to go to the library and mm-hmm. get these little, you know, newspaper style things. And like yeah. you had to fill out the form, put it in the mail. There was no electronic anything. There was no That's Google. Right. I mean, dude, there's no one to call for help, you know, except grandfather, yeah. grandfather, yeah. you know, my grandfather helped me the most, I think, with my uh, first tax filing, as I remember. But um you know, it seems to me that like uh, if it keeps you out of trouble, I'm happy with it. But like it took a while for me to really understand giving my money to someone else that I spent time earning, especially at such a high amount over time. Yeah. Um, you know, before it was less, it's getting to be a little more. Uh, to me, it comes down to responsibility. You know, if 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 there's three people and I give each of you twenty dollars and only one of you comes back with something useful that's the person i want to manage my money you know right. 
and uh, not the other two that bought the magic beans or whatever or crack right. you know exactly um, jesus christ so it's like you know when i look at the government and things and and no normally and we are not going to talk about politics but because uh, I never do that on the show, but in this one particular instance, I have to cite that the government really has demonstrated such unbelievable irresponsibility and lack of concern for things that, you know, that they uh, run their uh, campaigns on. It's ridiculous. It's blatant dishonesty in a lot of situations. And, you know, when I think about the budgets that they have for homeless people and you know, again, in San Francisco, I think the budget per homeless people is somewhere around $100,000 per homeless person. Yeah. And uh, if you're telling me that they're spending that money to help homeless people, um, let give me the money and I will go and live someplace on that money and show you that it can work. You know, it's like, I mean, even though San Francisco, $100,000, you are poor. Um, you know, it's like you really need like 200 or more to live comfortably in a place like that. It's so expensive or New York, for example. Right. Um, so I guess when it comes down to it, like, I don't have a problem with it either. It's part of life, but I want to see it working for me, man, you know, and I want to know that like, you know, I can feel good about this. I'm really happy to be a part of this, you know, and that's the way I should feel about it. But instead it's like, oh shit, you know, it's that thing I got to do again. And you know, I hope it doesn't get any worse this year. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, two things. Um, that makes me think of the one thing that I do get annoyed with that is that Social Security gets taxed and Social Security comes from money that was already taken out of my paycheck that I already paid. So yeah. that one drives me crazy. But I think the other piece is government workers, government elected congressmen, senators, uh, people working in state government, people working for big corporations. These are all people that are individuals that probably a lot of them don't have a handle on their own money. Mm -hmm. And now we're giving them free money right. that they don't actually have to feel the impact of irresponsible behavior. And so they're just bringing their own baggage or their own mental sabotage around money into the equation. And I think that gets missed a lot is the fact that some of these people running businesses, maybe they just got lucky. And some of them for sure know what they're doing, but there's a lot of people in government and a lot of people in business that, that don't really fully know how to handle their own finances. And then now we're giving them money and right. responsibility to handle a whole lot of people's money. And they don't always do the best job. Yeah, it's kind of like giving adult problems to children to solve and expecting sure. results, right? Like adult yeah. results, it isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, although, uh, to the defense of some kids, there's some darn smart kids out there these days. <laughs> and we might actually get lucky <laughs> with, Man, the, with the kids running it. I am amazed. Like, there's some really dumb kids. Like, there's a whole generation or two of dumb kids. But I've seen things on social media that are really amazing. Like, when you see the, you know, three-year-old, you know, discuss something intellectually or you know, make sense of something that seems much more complex than their mind is designed to handle. It just makes you wonder. Yeah. Um, and I met a whole lot of young people that are smart um, in, you know, uh, they've got the drive, they take initiative. Um, it's, it's really about the environment that they're growing up in is, are we going to make it easier or are we going to actually uh, let them struggle a little bit and help help them and guide them so that they can make smarter choices. 
Yeah, man, and that is actually perfect. We're in an extended edition of the Todd Cash Show at an hour and 21 minutes, um, but that's okay. Um, if you don't mind, I don't mind. You're good for another few minutes? Sure. Okay. A um, couple of things came to mind, and I, I really want to talk about your business and your podcast and get you some nice promotion, because I think that you have a lot of valuable things to offer, and there might be someone out there that's looking for help, but uh, before we get into that, what would you say to somebody that struggles with emotional issues related to money, and how would you give advice to people that might have had uh, trauma related to financial gain or you know things that relate to money that cause the stress? You know, sometimes they don't even realize that's where it's coming from. Probably, um, how do you how do you encourage someone like that to get strong and to overlook or overcome or whatever it is? That they need to do to move on and get strong in this area. Yeah, I well, so I think the first thing for anybody that has money issues, which is probably ninety nine point nine percent of the general population, is to get familiar with your early money stories and your early imprints about money is bad or I am greedy or people that make money are selfish. Whatever those stories are, it's really important to actually figure out what your story is. Um, I encourage people, uh, my clients, I'll, I'll say, go back and write down what you remember your mom and dad saying, or if you were raised by your grandparents, what they said, did you grow up in a church or a temple? What did they say? And, and what were all those messages that you were getting? Because if we don't start to uncover what we learned and what I found is most of our beliefs we have right now are things we picked up when we were three, four five, six, and seven. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't updated the software, right? In our minds, we're still working off this shameful event that happened when we were four and we lost the milk money and, or we were told we were bad at math. And so we're still carrying that. And now we're making decisions unaware that unconsciously, right? We're making these decisions based on some stuff that happened to us as a kid. Wow. Is it really that simple? I mean, something so innocuous as like, uh, you know, as an adult, you look back and think, oh, that's no big deal. But as a child, it registers and permanent mm-hmm. imprint. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't be traumatized around money in their 20s or 30s, right? That they have a bankruptcy or something happens where it just really takes them out. Um, but what, whether it's as a kid or whether it's a little bit later in life, looking at that, realizing your mistakes are not the full value of who you are as a person, right? That doesn't define my self-worth. Um, my but net worth it, doesn't define. We think it does though, right? We do think it does. And, you know, like I was socialized to, you know, I am my accomplishment. So if I'm not doing anything, I'm a loser. And so, you know, and then you got to accomplish, accomplish, and then I get that done. And then, well, I, I got to get to move to the new thing because I got to prove that I'm still accomplishing. It's an endless uh, hamster wheel. And so starting to st- sit back and say, wait a minute. Yeah, if I make money, that's fantastic. If I handle it well, even better. And if I don't, I'm not an evil person. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I'm flawed. It means I've got a little bit of work to do. And at the end of the day, we all have to be uh, we don't have to be, but it would be great if we could be accountable, self-accountable and be able to say, oh, yeah, there were some places I messed up and now I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to learn more and I'm going to take um, whatever information I can glean from people and and use that to do it a little bit better next time. Yeah, 
Definitely, man. Absolutely. It's not as bad as we think, but a lot of times uh, we hold on to things that hold us back. I know from my own experience, I have struggled with those things myself, probably still do in different ways. Um, and you actually gave me a great idea. I never really thought about it, you know, but like I am thinking now trying to remember the very first time that I was taught a lesson about money and I'm going to yeah. have to, I'm going to spend some time with that because you know, that's actually a very fascinating uh, approach and it's true in different ways, um, you know, socially, sexually, uh, interpersonally, uh, there's sure. so many different aspects of, you know, things that get embedded within our uh, consciousness and we don't realize that that's running our life sometimes and, and our emotions feed off of it. The logic is gone, like somehow it doesn't balance out. Um so, yeah, it's really good to know that. And I think a lot of times as an older person, we can complicate things, too. And, you know, if we can just look to a simple solution, it could make things a lot easier, you know. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's not always fun. Um, I actually have a an online course called Mastering the Emotions of Money. And when we first started it, uh, all the people that were doing the, the beta test were going through it. They said, you know, my therapist thanks you because I've been doing <laughs> a lot of therapy. Because we uncover okay. stuff and, you know, whether it's gender, um, you know, men have this idea that, you know, whoever has the biggest wallet, right? My mm -hmm. wallet's bigger than your wallet. Mm -hmm. um, right. And that's sexy. Uh, but or some just, women are like that now. Yeah, that's true. You know? And, 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 and so even, and, and gender itself doesn't decide anything. It's how your family treated gender. Um, I see. Or, right. Because I, I know, women that were all girls, their dad was a coach and he realized, well, I'm not going to have any boys. I'm going to treat my girls like boys and they can mm -hmm. do anything. And so mm -hmm. there's not this, you know, stay at home and do this. Not that that's wrong either, but like it, it it's really very specific to your unique home life growing up and, and yeah. what your parents projected or told you was okay. What messages your parents could have been joking and you took it on as serious. Right. And they didn't even realize the impact that had. Um, and, and I know a lot of people and this happened for me, you know, I put money in my piggy bank, my parents would borrow it cause they were struggling. And then I was sort of taught what's the point of saving if everybody's just going to take it anyway. Um, and so then I had to work through that because then I had to learn how to say no <laughs> or advocate for my hey, dude, you just needed to hide your money better, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's um, so funny. That's so but, funny. Yeah. And so there's just all these things that are going on and then we don't realize. And and do we ever solve everything? No. Do I still, you know, I don't very rarely do I impulsively buy anything. I have to think about it. Right. Me um, too. And sometimes I miss the deal, but that's okay because I get to sleep at night knowing that I didn't just do something without actually giving it some thought. Oh, dude. Um, actually, it's kind of funny. We're recording this on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. So you exactly. can go out and have a whole lot of fun online. I would never fight those crowds in public. It's not worth it. Not <laughs> worth it. But but yeah, just learning your story so that you can then decide. You know, I have a belief that everybody, you know, every story has a cost. Your story has a cost. My story has a cost. And then I have to ask myself, is the price too high do, or do I want to change my story? Um, because maybe I've just been too comfortable. And I think a lot of us get very comfortable being in debt, comfortable not knowing, comfortable not having to be accountable. And at the end of the day, if we want to have that financial freedom and um, 
like really have all that we want and an abundance of time. Um, we got to do the work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's freedom from that, right? You can turn yeah. it around. So if there's negative, sure. if there's a negative imprint, part of what you do and part of what's possible is it can be changed into a positive, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, look, even now when I go and refinance the house or I buy a new property, I still get nervous and oh my God, it's, and even though everything on paper says I'm going to get the loan, I still have this doubt, like with, uh, they're going to find something. I, and it's an old story and I can laugh and go, oh, here's the old story. It's going to play for five minutes. Then I get the loan. Everything's fine. But I still go into that reaction from mm -hmm. history that I just have to tell myself, oh, you know what? Here's that silly voice. Just ignore it because it's not based on facts. And that's coming from a person who, you know, I would consider if you're teaching it, you're a sort of master of the process. So, I mean, yep. there's no doubt that it's human nature. It doesn't matter how good you are or successful or we have feelings and emotions and things. It's a matter of uh, managing those things in a healthy way, right? For sure. Warren Buffett has some emotional attachments around his money. I guarantee it. <laughs> sure. Sure. You know, we're human. We're human. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so let's spend the rest of the time talking just about Bob, Bob Wheeler and his not average CPA business. <laughs> and I want to plug your podcast so people can listen to that as well. Um, tell us a little bit about your business and how you can help people and why somebody would turn to you and um, our listening audience today, because that's part of it. Um, I want to promote everyone equally. So um, I want to have an opportunity for you to speak to the audience and hopefully have uh, something to offer to somebody out there who's looking for something. Yeah, well, so my main practice is my accounting practice. And when I got into working with a lot of entrepreneurs, I would sit down with them. I would give them some what I thought was really sound advice, and they'd go out and do the exact opposite. And hmm. then I realized most of us are working emotionally with our money. And so if I don't understand where you're coming from emotionally, I can't really help you financially uh, because I need to know your trigger points. I need to know when you're tuning me out. Some clients will literally walk in and say, Bob, you have 15 minutes. And after that, I zone out. And so I know I've got 15 <laughs> wow. minutes to Jesus. get my information in. Right? Grow up. I'd say grow up and come <laughs> back when you're an adult. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I could do that. But the I thing know, is... I can't, can't do that. It, I'm kidding. It's Well, the thing is, I want people to be able to know that I'm not going to, you know, a lot of clients will say, you're probably judging me. You're thinking I'm stupid. I'm like, no, I've made all these mistakes. It's easy for me to sit here and want to help you because I have compassion and empathy because I was in the same boat. I'm not, I'm not where I'm at today because I did everything perfectly. I, I did not. Oh, we I learned made lots from and lots of mistakes. Yeah. We learned from our failures more than success. They say for sure. And, and so I, once I realized that people were not operating with just two plus two is four, um, I needed to know how they felt about that. Um, <laughs> then I was able to uh, really start tapping into connecting the emotions and money. And so that I, I ended up getting uh, certified in uh, somatic therapy, which What's is a body-based kind of therapy. Oh. It's body-based therapy. So physical, we hold our trauma. Oh, interesting. So, we hold a lot of our experience as a young oh, kid. People yeah. have heart attacks over money. People have strokes. People like, you know, but if, if you're in a, if you're in a restaurant, they decline your bank, you know, your credit card. There's that 
feeling in your gut. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Septemics, or, right? Yeah. Septemics. Okay. I did an interview with someone about this. Yeah. Fascinating concept. Yeah. And so just like when you win the lottery, you get excited. You're like, oh my God, or you got a bonus you weren't counting on. We feel, you know, we feel it euphorically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, I ended up writing a book called um, The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money, because I really wanted to start to tie people's fears and their emotions and how those drive a lot of our financial decisions, if not all of them. And so that's that's where I got. And so I started, I wrote the book, I started doing workshops and uh, really helping people um, and guiding them into looking at their own stories so that they could actually change their story and, and be able to move beyond their self-sabotage or their financial trauma. And, um, and so that's my takeaway has just been trying to normalize the conversations around money, whether it's tax, whether it's investing, whether it's real estate. Uh, I just started, I just released my first children's financial literacy book of a eight book series that I'm doing cool. um, for the financially fit kids. And wow. so how old Darius, uh, it's for five to seven year olds. And, and really like the first book is Darius wants a dog. And it, it talks about budgeting for a dog, uh, budgeting time for a dog, yeah. uh, the responsibilities, uh, the choices and the ability to say no or change your mind. And so I've tried to add all these foundational pieces around money and leadership um, and setting healthy boundaries that weren't necessarily taught to me as a kid. And mm-hmm. I just don't see people out there doing that. And at the end of each book, there is questions that can help a teacher or a caregiver to uh, integrate it into that kid's real life, you know, so that they can start to go, oh, I have a dog. I didn't realize I had to pay for the vet. Mommy and dad right. do that. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know as a kid, I never thought about stuff like that until I had my own pet. Yeah. Um, Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's very expensive to go to the vet. <laughs> it's very expensive. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not like the old days. Um, and so your business serves people in a variety of ways. Do you combine yeah. all these things or? I do. Well, I have they... a couple, I have a couple different corporations, but a lot, I do get a lot of clients through the emotional component that become clients yeah. of the business. And then I have tax clients that are aware of the other work I do and they become clients. So there's a lot of cross pollination. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started the podcast, uh, four years ago, um, really to, again, help normalize conversations around money by talking with successful people and people from all walks, but really talking with a lot of successful people about their failures, um, and about their mindset so that other people can hear that and know that they're not alone and that most of us have a story around money that we haven't fully uh, come to terms with and that's okay interesting and what's the name of your podcast uh the podcast is called money you should ask very cool very cool and they can find it anywhere of course four years you're you're everywhere by now (laughs) i it is everywhere and that's awesome we've got a very nice uh we've got a nice uh audience out there so we're very grateful that's awesome man i was thinking about writing a book called advice from a failure and yeah. uh, that's something because in my life I've faced some uh, challenges and I mean, I've had a moderate amount of success in different ways. But overall, I think that, you know, uh, like someone who's wealthy with a lot of uh, different things and a foundation would probably look at me and see me as a failure. 
And uh, I thought it'd be interesting to write about that and, you know, talk a little bit about what it's like to try and fail and what you learn from it and all of that. But, <clears throat> you yeah, know, there's, I, there's the success component that everybody wants to hear at the end. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, though. I, you know, I think uh, when I grow up, I, I want to be happy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I think that that's the, the a lot of people miss that. You know, are am I wealthy in my relationships? Am I wealthy in the life experiences that I've had? Am I wealthy in the people in my support network? Um, I don't know that being incredibly rich in and of itself is a major accomplishment. I mean, yes, it's a great, it's great. It looks great on paper, but I can tell you, money does not buy happiness. It certainly helps fuel a lot of things, and you can do a lot of amazing things with money. And I certainly enjoy it, um, but it doesn't make me happy. Mm -hmm. And I think if more of us nurtured the desire to be happy instead of the desire to be rich, we'd all be a bit more fulfilled. All right. Well, that's good to hear, man, because uh, that's the one thing I've got over most people is I am a happy son of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've been through, you know, some pretty dark times. And I mean, other people have had it much worse and been homeless. Thank God I haven't gone that far but i've been hungry and you know for extended periods of time living without money i've lived on 50 mm -hmm. bucks in a whole month like 50 dollars like seriously you know yeah I, it's ridiculous my gas tank takes more than that you know and, uh, and and i've been there too you know when i was like i'm just going to do the creative arts um i don't want to be a cpa i don't want to do this and that i'm just going to yeah. go follow my passion yeah uh my passion didn't feed me very much and right it was tight for two or three years there. And I just realized I don't really want to struggle that much. Right. Um, and so for me, um, but I've been there. I have not eaten. I haven't had money to pay the rent. I've had to borrow from the, from the goodness of friends. Yeah. And so I can have a lot of compassion for that. It's not that I did it perfect. Um, it's just, these are some choices that I made that have set me up to be where I am totally. because of what I experienced in the past. Yeah, man, absolutely. And uh, it turns around, you know, for me, it's a matter of uh, pursuing purpose. You know, that's my entire life has been about trying to find the purpose of my existence. And, you know, through trauma and different things, I've been sidetracked for a number of years. But, you know, I'm starting as an older person to really find traction in that. And I wished I did it earlier. So, I mean, I want to say to people out there who, you know, or thinking of not trying something, no, you got to go try. You've got to try. Uh, if you've got a passion or a purpose and you can connect that with the dots of an income, and by golly, don't hesitate. Get out there and do something. That's the gift, you know, that we have to the world is our individuality, you know. Absolutely. Do it scared. Do it scared. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Um, yeah, and I, I would agree. I think purpose is so important. I think my belief is that deep down, all of us want to be in connection. All of us want to make a difference and um, all of us like want to have impact. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to want to have impact. And I think that's, that's awesome. Um, I think most of us are scared to say, I want to, I want to have impact and I want to be in connection with other people. I think we all want to leave the world a better place deep, deep down. And then we get sidetracked with all the distractions. And so yeah. for me, that's the focus. Uh, those are the things I want to do. I, I want to have an impact. I want to be in connection with people and I want to know that I mattered. And I think 
um, for a lot of people, that feels like shameful or overly ambitious or cheesy. And that's all cool. Um, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And in today's world, there's so much opportunity that you really can't go wrong. You just have to try, try, try until you fail. You're not inventing a light bulb, you know, as you're just following yeah. strategies to figure out what works. There's so many methodologies today that, I mean, I'm looking into them right now, actually, in some different capacities on how I can make some extra money and develop, you know, passive income and things like that, that I hadn't really thought of just as a traditional worker, but it's yeah. out there. It's totally it's, out there. It's out there. You can do it. Absolutely. And so how does someone get in touch with Bob Wheeler, the funny and very not <laughs> average CPA? <laughs> uh, the best way to find me is the money nerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. I'm a nerd, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. the money nerve. Mm -hmm. uh, that's got my accounting practice. That's got my online course stuff. It's got the podcast. It's got my children's um, financial literacy book series. Um, and people can reach me through that. Um, info at the money um, People can reach out and I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do tax prep. Um, we do a lot of tax strategy and a lot of stuff in between, but we're trying to create a safe space for people to come and uh, um, do the work, um, do their taxes and um, and we're here to help. We're here to guide. That is awesome, man. And, uh, you know, you are very unusual. Like, I feel very comfortable coming to your office. I probably would have a hard time, you know, it'd be more like a luxury spa, it sounds like, where you <laughs> can relax and get some mental clarity. Um, so it's not going to be far until tax time is due. If someone needs help, can they contact you and ask questions? How does it work in terms yeah, of absolutely. You know, yeah, people that whole can, thing? Yeah, people can reach out now. Now is the time to be reaching out. Uh, right. April, four, April 14th is not the day. Nope. Plan ahead. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, yes, people can reach out to me through the website um, and through that email. And cool. having to talk tax, we, we, you know, we're not for everybody. Certain, if you've just got a W-2, probably not a lot I can do to help you, but I can answer questions. Um, and so, yeah, feel free to reach out. We'll, we'll always respond. Very cool. Very cool. And are there any other thoughts or things that maybe we didn't cover? I always want to make sure that if I miss something, is there anything in your heart, in your mind that you'd like to share today that would help our listeners even more? You know, I, 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 you know, the thing that comes to mind is just be fearless. Uh, or it doesn't mean you don't have fear. It doesn't mean you're not scared of things. It doesn't mean that feels intimidating. But just be fearless and go out and do it anyway. That's why I say do it. Do it scared. Do it shaking. Um, show up. You have a right to show up. You have a right to have your voice. Um, you have a right to be seen. And and don't hide. Life's short. Right on, man! Wow, all that coming from a tax professional. Who knew? That, who knew <laughs> who you knew? people could who could be so nice? You know, it's like <laughs> oh, it's so funny. That's really yeah. great, Bob Wheeler. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And uh, boy, this is uh, the longest episode so far, but I'm sure people won't <laughs> mind. Um, it's all about helping with the taxes, and uh, Bob has a unique way of doing it. So if you're listening right now and you're one of these people that uh, doesn't have a simple job and nothing else going on, and you've got a slightly more complex tax situation, Bob might be able to help in more ways than one. And of course, if you're freaked out about it, like most people are, and just tax time scares you, and 
you know, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Bob's got an answer for that. And uh, you just don't get that everywhere. So I think that's really special. I appreciate that you're doing that. Absolutely. Thank you. Very cool. Very cool. Making it a little bit more palatable anyway. Absolutely. Uh, until we're all forced to eat crickets. <laughs> <laughs> crickets aren't so bad. I've had crickets. They're not bad. Oh, God. I saw, <laughs> I saw an episode of a television program last night where somebody ate a cricket brownie on TV. Yeah. And, man, I just wanted to throw up. Like, I don't even think I could do it. I don't think yeah, so. well, fried crickets are not bad. They, they got a lot of onions in them. So, uh, yeah, it was sort of freaky. But That's so funny. Them. You're talking like Bear Griles. Are you a... <laughs> Are you a survival expert too? Um, I'm not. I've done some of that stuff, but uh, and you know, I, 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 you know, I prefer a nice steak over crickets. But I would know, hope, yeah. If they're know. serving crickets, I'll eat crickets. Right on, man. Yeah, I still uh, sit on the fence about the impossible meat. You know, it's supposed yeah. to be like veggie burgers, but like beef and yeah. I don't know. I had it at Burger King. It was pretty good, but I don't trust it. I'm, yeah. I'm worried about it. I'm scared. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, don't be scared. Just eat it. Close your eyes. No, exactly. Yeah, face your food fearlessly also, people. That's right. That's right. Awesome, Bob. Thank you for being a guest today. This has been sure. a great episode. I actually really was quite engaged in this and uh, really appreciate this. I hope that other people out there listening get value from this experience and We'll reach out to you and find out what you have to offer. Tune into your podcast, Money You Should Ask. And uh, feel free to reach out to Bob once again with your web address. Themoneynerve.com. Money Nerve. Not nerd, nerve. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. And I hope we get to talk again in the future. Sounds good. Thanks, Todd. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira, be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of The Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. 
Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.